Hey, welcome to Brontide. And today we're talking about love and loving well. And uh, Trace, loving well. Does love start with a lot of the, one of the themes that I've found consistent in our conversations is what often is understood as an external phenomenon is actually an internal phenomenon. Mm. Talk about the relationship between loving oneself and how you love others. Yeah, great. Fantastic question. So I, I mean, I've always felt like the external is a reflection of the internal. So we're only able to give out what we give ourselves. So our ability to love others is uh, directly relational to the amount that we're able to love ourselves. If we're not fully seeing ourselves, we're not fully loving ourselves, we can't do the same for others. And really being able to fully love someone or something is fully seeing it as it is, seeing it as exactly as it is, and then loving that reality of it, not loving a idea you have in your head of what that thing or person should be not loving. It's not about loving an, you know, some sort of ideal or some sort of standard that you wish that thing would meet. Um, it's actually about loving the thing exactly as it is. And that always comes back to self-love and loving ourselves exactly as we are. Um, so there's a really, there's a lot of really interesting ways to kind of explore this dynamic between uh, loving oneself and being able to love others. Um, but I've found on my journey, the more that I have increased my own self-love, ha- that's increased my ability to love others uh, fully. So they both they go hand in hand and there's, there's really not one without the other. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wait, 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 we got, we got to pause for a moment. What is love anyways? <laughs> what is love anyway? What is love? Anyway? I mean, we're getting this like dynamic of like, well, yeah, love yourself. But like, what does that even mean? What is, what is love? Because love can be received and maybe somebody receives love in a way that wasn't, imparted in a way in a loving way mm-hmm. or the opposite somebody i think all the time i'm loving my wife when i do certain things but she doesn't feel loved so like what like what is it is it a is it a uh a value that we place on something is it a purely physiological you know biochemical process is it uh an existential attachment of meaning to a person place or thing is it like, what is it? Why Why does it exist and what is it for? And how would you begin to describe it? So my experiences have brought me to a belief that source or God or infinity is unconditional love. And so before I even get to an attempt of describing love as a behavior or set of behaviors or and and or verbs or feelings or anything else, I perceive it as like the actual substance, the matter, like the the tangible and intangible like that it's all unconditional love and so to me the heart of this then becomes 
how can I bring that? I'm going to go ahead and use source, which I've found it to be very useful to perceive or visualize as like a golden or white light. If that is me, but there are things that I do that are not unconditionally loving, or there are some ways that I feel about myself or others that aren't unconditionally loving. It's almost like there's a dark spot if we're going with light as the visualization within me that isn't able to perceive or hold that light. And so I see it as my job to, I would call it heal or bring light, bring love, bring compassion to that place, whether it's a place in my physical body, whether it's a place in my psyche, I don't know that those two things are even really that different. At the end of the day, it's all conversations that we really only probably know very small part of their workings. But if I, at my core, am unconditional love, then my only job becomes releasing everything that isn't that and letting that source, that purity, come in and do its job and then be able to flow in and through and out of me And I feel like for me, experientially, that story that I just told has dramatically changed my ability to actually behave in, perceive in, receive, give unconditional love. Mm. So, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get toothy. So... I can imagine somebody listening to this and they, you know, last night had a a fight with their partner Mm -hmm. or they were just having to fight to get their kid to do their homework and their kid stomps down the hall. I hate you. Right. Or they are really struggling with liking the way that they look physically or they feel insufficient in their job, right? They've got imposter syndrome. And so there's a really tangible felt sense of like, this is the challenge in front of me. And I'm asking myself, how do I love in this moment? And you're talking source and light and things, right? And it, it might feel very esoteric and ethereal. And so I'm curious if you can speak tactically to that person in that position who's feeling that sense of of tension and angst Mm -hmm. what is love in that moment maybe they don't have a connection or an idea even a mental model to begin even making sense of what you mean by source or light Mm -hmm. right like what what do you say to that person how would you unpack this for them in that context So, I mean, I think the first thing is if I'm talking to somebody directly, the most compassionate thing to do in that moment is validate their experience. That is love in that moment. Mm, Okay. I love that. No pun intended. (laughs) Why is that love to affirm in that moment? 
because being human comes with big emotions. Mm -hmm. And for many of us, especially those of us who've ended up really pretty strongly practicing our rationality, our intellectual muscles, our uh, Grin and Barrett muscles, I mean, whatever it was that helped you cope, uh, you didn't even know you were coping. You were, you were just getting through there's you're you're born into a home as trace's dad uh rob bell says like you're born into a play that's already been going on it's not like the play starts the moment you arrive like your own role does uh to some extent but this has been an ongoing performance since the dawn of time or whatever whenever you want to i don't even know to try to make a beginning would be completely arbitrary and so whatever conditions we're born into, we don't even realize, we don't even acknowledge that we're immediately surviving, we're coping, we're sense-making based upon relatively few individuals and their interaction and definitions of, of love or of anger or of sadness or of what's rewarded in the home and what's encouraged and what's not right there's like so many contextual things that we can't even begin to understand like true if if we went with the definition of empathy that says being in someone else's experience like being like having the same experience there there actually be no such thing as empathy because mm -hmm. none of us can literally have someone else's experience and so the most kind and loving thing we can do the most compassionate thing we can do is open our hearts enough to feel open our ears enough to listen open our eyes enough to see what this person's experiencing in this moment and remind them that that experience is a normal reaction given the whole and you know the more specific you can get the better like well, of course you feel X, Y, and Z given, you know, anyone would be extremely frustrated if they're working so hard all day and coming home and making dinner and cleaning up and trying to be present with their kids at dinner. And then their kid says, F you, I hate you and tosses the spaghetti across the room and stomps off. Like, of course you're heartbroken or you're angry or you pitched the plate across the room afterwards because you couldn't control it. And once that person actually allows themselves to feel seen and validated, because I think that's normally one of like the most primary wounds that people have is not feeling seen and validated for what they're actually feeling. So they stop feeling what they're feeling in order to kind of right. try to regulate themselves to the people around them and to cut off that dissonance as much as possible. When you allow yourself to be seen and validated, then you can actually start to see, oh, there was actually a difference between what I was feeling and then the behavior that came out. And just like a breath, the inhale and the exhale, there is actually a pause in between. Mm -hmm. And in that pause, we can make a different choice. So I don't have to actually pitch the plate across the room. I can instead see, I just need a few moments to calm down. Maybe I, maybe I kindly communicate to those around me because we have conversations when we're calm about, Hey, next time you feel really heated, just take a walk around the block and we'll all use the same 
phrase when we need our walk. Like, I just need a moment, I'll be back, you know, to communicate to the ones you love so they're not worried that you stormed off. Or you go in a quiet room and you sit and you breathe, or you use something like tapping to calm yourself and bring yourself back to your own center. That is the most loving thing you can do for yourself in the time at the time. And when you've been acknowledged and validated enough, maybe it's through therapy or coaching, maybe it's through a friend who knows how to do this, but we begin to start to understand how to do it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's a practice. These things are like going to the gym, except for your emotional state. And then if you have those kind of practices and you have practices where you're used to, some people might call it meditation, other people might call it centering, but whatever it is, if you have practices where you're used to sitting still and just breathing and being, then things like pulling light into your body don't become actually that far-fetched. They become kind of like, oh, you mean kind of the same way I put soap under my armpits when they're stinky in the shower? Like it becomes just kind of a natural part of taking care of oneself instead of this big, I mean, I'm sure there was a point in time where putting smelly soap under your armpits in the shower was woo-woo, you know? <laughs> like only the, the, only the bourgeoisie was doing it. <laughs> I mean, so you, uh, this theme that I'm picking up is that, I mean, you started with this idea of just like pausing and seeing and empathy and you're getting at this idea of maybe there's something about love beginning with seeing and being seen and perhaps somehow love is accepting reality at face value without judgment mm -hmm. and that 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 requires practice right because it requires that we overcome the emotional filter that we often interpret reality through mm. uh i'm curious um if that is something that imparts so if we if we pause and we accept reality at face value without judgment, this is this, right? Does that elevate or dissipate our sense of self-agency? Mm, that's a great question. I I would say it ultimately elevates paradoxically. Uh, it can appear like it, uh, like it wouldn't, like if we were to just accept the way that reality is without judgment, then what would be the motivation to want to make it better? And what would it, what would be the motivation to actually become an agent of the change that we want to see? Um, but we can only actually become truly powerful in our self-agency and in our agency of making reality improving reality by first accepting as it is um if we're if we have to first come to to terms and acceptance about what is in the moment because that's where the space opens up for the clarity about what the next right step is to take that's where clarity comes through because if we're constantly interacting with reality kind of uh mediated through our mental models about what it should be and um, all the ways we're resisting the way it is, then we're not actually we're not actually interacting from reality in a place that's going to have the kind of space 
um, for us that's going to actually bring the kind of clarity about what the right decisions are and what the right way, what the right pathway to take is. Um, so I would say, yeah, I would say paradoxically, actually, um, you know, first accepting reality without without judgment is actually what gives us the most powerful self-agency. Can I add on to that? Please, yeah. Of all of that. Yeah. And Joel, I'd ask you the question of which self is the one that we're wanting to give agency to? Ooh, that's a great question. All of the selves <laughs> in the true self. <laughs> I mean, I think that's like, uh, you know, speaking of self-love, I love this work. Uh, I have a, a, a deep affinity uh, for integrated family systems therapy, mm -hmm. right? That you have, there's like a multiple dimensions to yourself and there's a true self underneath these parts, right? But there are parts of you who have stories and wounds and ambitions and perspectives, right? Opinions, and to love yourself is to create space for those parts of you to speak up and to engage in conversation, right? To be seen. And often in seeing those parts of you, that part of you who's stuck in sixth grade when you were bullied, who's afraid of being bullied and speaks up and screams at the top of their lungs from a place of fear and woundedness, every time somebody raises their voice, even as a 40 something year old adult to go back to that part and say, Hey, it's okay. And you're not, you're not being threatened right now. You're safe and I've got you. And we're not in sixth grade anymore. This isn't the playground. And sometimes it feels like it because boardrooms often feel like playgrounds, but <laughs> we're 40 something now we're 45 years old now. And you don't have to be afraid of that anymore. And I got you. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be okay. Right? Like that scene of self and understanding where that, that voice is coming from and affirming that part, yeah. I think, is that kind of accepting reality at face value without judgment and creating sp holding space for that element of self, right? That part of self and affirming and um, uh, comforting. So that that self and that part of self becomes integrated and reconciled to the whole. Mm -hmm. right? It knows when to speak up because it's been welcomed, but it doesn't feel like it has to scream anymore to be noticed. And that's, that's healing, right? So that kind of self-love is uh, transformative. So I think the, the question of what self, yeah, it's, that's a great question. I think it's all the selves, it's all the parts, right? And the better we get at holding all those selves, recognizing them, honoring them, acknowledging, hey, that sixth grade self had every right to kick and scream because an injustice was being done. Right. Like that's sacred rage. Right. Yep. And so sacred rage is still welcome here. I, as the 40, whatever your old self, just get to articulate it maybe a little bit differently. A, it doesn't have to be shut down on the play. It doesn't have to go hide in order to avoid it. And B, doesn't have to lash out 
exactly. I've actually learned that when I can be with that part and learn like, oh, wait, you were a really important part of me that got like, oh, you were my unique Mm self-expression. You were the part of me that saw the other shit going on on the playground or whatever that wasn't okay, actually bothered to speak up to it one day and then started getting bullied or whatever it is, right? And so oftentimes it's those parts of us that were othered that are actually some of the most important parts of us to really live out our purpose now. Because they're the parts that saw or recognized or did something that was going to kind of shake things up or around or that that there wasn't bottom line is there wasn't space for in the quote unquote norm in this like small container that was trying to be held together. But where we are now, we're actually needing to break those containers over and over and over again. And those two words of seeing and affirming, I find so powerful that you mentioned, Joel. Love really is about seeing someone for who they are and then affirming them for who they are. And for a lot of people's early trauma came from not being seen by their caretakers and their community and then not being affirmed for who they are. Um, and I find one of the as we as we mature and as we develop into adults, it becomes crucial to then uh, learn to see and affirm the parts of ourselves because we have to, I mean, one of the, the most powerful aspects of love to me is that we have the ability to give ourselves the love that we didn't get growing up and that we, that we didn't receive. Uh, so when we, there's a, there's a really kind of profound lesson, I think, in learning to see and affirm all those parts of ourself uh, when we weren't actually seen affirmed uh, by those around us as we were growing up. So we learn to to give the love that we didn't get because ultimately the, the only love we can rely, truly rely on is our own. Um, it's our, the only love we can truly rely on is self-love. We can't actually fully rely on someone else's love. Uh, so when we learn to, to get that, we learn to, to give ourselves that, that unconditional love and see all of these parts of ourselves and affirm all these parts of ourselves. We tap into a, a well of love that can never fully dry up. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Okay. There's a few directions that we could go. I think connecting some of this conversation back to, again, another theme that has been important to us, not just in this podcast, but also just in our conversations as friends, and I think some of our shared affinity is the conversation around emergence. Mm. And I want to connect this to that idea of accepting reality at face value without judgment, right? That when we stop, what we do is we momentarily relinquish control in trying to force an outcome. Mm -hmm. And in the pause comes possibility. Mm -hmm. In the pause, in taking a moment to see what is not what we're hoping to create actually leads to the ability to not just see what is, but see what could be Mm. outside of our own control. Mm -hmm. Right. It gives us a moment to recognize an alternative reality. 
I think. And it gives us then, that's where I think the agency comes back in, Trace, is you're talking about, yeah, it, it paradoxically imparts self-agency. The agency then is found in the ability to pursue an alternative reality rather than the one that was maybe we felt inevitable because the future is not inevitable, right? Uh, we are not passive agents in which the, fu- like the future doesn't happen to us. Mm-hmm. But for many of us, it does because we don't pause and we don't recognize the agency. We don't recognize the alternative. Um, and so I think in that pause, when we are paying attention to opportunity, this is where we can become agents of emergence mm-hmm. because we can see the future that maybe is healthier. It's more productive. It's more prosperous. It's pro-social. It's more human. It's ecologically sustainable and restorative, right? That that future then can then be pursued. And the pursuit of that future never would have happened if the pause didn't happen. If the acknowledging, if the stopping to acknowledge reality for what it is didn't happen. And so that becoming an agent of emergence in that moment, you know, our our, uh, our good homie that we probably reference once in every conversation, uh, Mr. <laughs> Schmachtenberger, you know, it's like emergence is a property of synergy and synergy is just elegantly ordered complexity and synergy is a, a property of relationships, right? And relationships are a property of attraction, whether it's gravity or electromagnetism or atomic strong force, pheromones, intellectual affinity, like, right? These, this list of things that attract us to each other and to the world around us. Uh, and so we, we, are able to recognize attraction in the pause too, right? Mm-hmm. We're able to recognize the force that's at play uh, and to align ourselves with the current of that force. Mm-hmm. And I would say, Tina, that's source, right? For me, source is that current, right? It's where the flow of attraction is heading. It's that, it's that major jet stream in the atmosphere that is our uh our our brains and our minds and our hearts right and so to 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 tune into that i think is really really powerful to be uh to pay attention to attraction to jump into the current of source <clears throat> is to be a agent of emergence Mm. it is to be participatory in shaping the future that we want to live in. Mm -hmm. And so to pause in that moment when your kid is stomping down the hall because you just had a big argument about doing their homework, to pause in that moment is to consider the future that you want your kid and you or your relationship to live in, right? Mm -hmm. It's to pause and recognize the forces at play your the force maybe at play for you is the desire to see your kids successful in a volatile world. Mm-hmm. The force at play for your kid is a sense of personal agency and individualism and separation from parental authority and finding identity in the affirmation and mirroring of their peer group, right? And so how do you align those forces in a manner that leads to an outcome in which those there's a X multiplying factor or uh experience that uh leads to a future in which man when those forces come together it's really powerful right um so 
I think that that's a, a really, um, I just, I love that story of, of the, the story of love being the story of the unfolding of the universe through that, right. That sequence and Bucky Fuller's quote around it. Love is just metaphysical gravity. I mean, that's probably mm-hmm. one of the best definitions of love that I've ever heard in my life. Um, and it, and in that sense, it becomes like a really fundamental principle of the universe, mm-hmm. right? It's more than just a biochemical, emotional experience. Um, it's an evolutionary story, right? Uh, it's at the heart of that of that of the evolutionary story. It seems to me that when fear is the driving force, uh, maybe at times we take action quicker. That's not a bad thing necessarily. If there's a car coming down the road and you see someone else's kid run into the street and they're not looking, fear might be the thing that makes you just automatically jump, grab the kid, wave your arms in the air, stop the car. So, you know, so it's not making fear bad or wrong. It's a part of the human experience. But if fear is what's the leading edge all the time, in other words, everything becomes that big of an emergency, it seems like it can be a rather destructive force. So like the intensity you're talking about of here's a parent who really wants to see the kid succeed in a, you know, fill in the blank, all these things and uh, you know about how harsh and hard and challenging our world is right now and the kid who just is developing like their natural individuation if you keep playing the fear scenario out day after day after day of if the kid doesn't do this like from the parent's perspective if the kid doesn't do this then x y and z bad things gonna happen like that's got fear written all over it right Mm -hmm. and there's this intensity of it. And it's like, you are actually, to your point, you are creating that reality now of the kid not thriving, (laughs) that you're afraid is going to happen to them later because of this intensity of fear. Whereas if instead we choose the pause, I would say in this scenario, and maybe in many scenarios, the pause and love become synonyms because the the pause is where we end up with the most choice. The pause is where our parasympathetic nervous system, our calm selves with our higher faculties, our bigger visions gets to be the the lead instead of our fight, flight, or freeze response, our fear response. And it's interesting to me that emergence and emergency oh interesting <laughs> yeah I, I didn't notice that yeah, yeah. Are, like, talking. branched off right but it's like the emergency is like that fear that fear-based thing it's like okay choose that fork in the road sometimes but um it's like expensive fuel you don't have a ton of it and it definitely taxes the system 
when it's chosen and there's fewer options. I mean, the benefit of the way that our brains work is that when we hit fear, we get hyper-focused and we're able to like line drive into an outcome. So that is extremely beneficial for survival. Mm -hmm. It's very counter to beneficial when you're talking about emerging a new world. Mm -hmm. Because you limit, literally take unlimited options and, and full creativity and innovation and you turn it into hyper focus into something you already know how to do. Yeah, so well said. And wisdom, yeah. wisdom is often counterintuitive. So to pause in these moments is like a very counterintuitive move. Can we say right? like counterinstinctual maybe? Counterinstinctual, that's a better, yeah, because counterintuitive is a bit of a misnomer. Yeah, counterinstinctual. Because we're, you know, the world that we live in and we're so conditioned to constantly go, 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 do, 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 especially in tense situations, especially in situations which we're stressed out. We're very conditioned to like try to fix it immediately. So to take a pause in that moment is a super counter instinctual move. But that actually is, like I said, that's actually what opens up the space within us to then actually step away from the conditioned patterns of behavior and the conditioned patterns of thought and actually make a new choice that's not those condition patterns. Um, so I see the pause as like opening up space and there's like a really like deep kind of counter instinctual move. And one of the things that Daniel Schmanberger talks about. <laughs> I feel like we should give ourselves a dollar for every time we need it. <laughs> or he probably needs 10 every time. <laughs> I just, I love this point that he, that he laid out in that emergence video where he talked about how we've been, pain has been a driver yeah, of yeah. for a long time. Pain has been a driver of change. It's like things had to get painful enough for us to actually want to change them. And what would it look like for uh, humans to start to understand themselves from the get-go as actual, actually agents of emergence? And rather than pain needing to be the evolutionary driver, it's actually out of a love for the evolutionary process and a love for reality that is actually the driver and motivator for change and evolution and creating a better world. And I think there's a really interesting way to look at if we just take a pause and rather than needing things to get painful enough for us to take that pause, rather mm -hmm. than things needing pain, like rather than us needing to be broken before we can take that pause, what if you know, taking that pause became actually just such a normal part of life that that opened up the space for us to understand ourselves as loving agents of creating a better reality. And I find in my own life, uh, some of the times that I'm most, I feel like connected to love or source are deep in my meditations when I'm meditating for, um, you know, 15, 20 minutes and I'm towards the end of that. And I'm like all thoughts, all mind activity is completely cleared away. And all there is is just the space that we exist within. And that's where I feel closest to love. And there's also other moments in my life in which I feel close, really close to love. <laughs> Gee, thanks buddy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but as far as like, a, as far as like an existential kind of like source level of love, it's actually when I'm deepest in the pause, which it would be like, the, take the form of meditation for me. A hundred percent. And that's actually, sometimes I find, um, like a completely open meditation practice to be challenging in mo depending on the day and where I where I've been at otherwise because if I'm already pretty cleared out and I try to do just a 
like a heart opening meditation and that's it and stay with the blankness so many ideas and so much creativity naturally emerges in that space because truly when we're not on over stress overthinking our nervous systems aren't on overdrive that pause pretty quickly turns into creation mm, mm. Because mm-hmm. love just keeps wanting to make yeah. ripples. Yeah. Love can't help itself but create. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, that's so good. Well, I, I we didn't plan on this, but I wonder if we wrap this up with a affirmation. Mm. There's a... Um, a really brilliant uh, human being. Uh, her name is Dr. Hillary McBride. She's a PhD psychologist and um, a clinician out of the uh, Vancouver, BC area, whose work I've been following for years. And um, she has written, and we'll include it in the show notes, a link to this, uh, a meditative affirmation on love that I, I keep coming back to, and I've read it to my kids several times. We've, we've written it on our, uh, mirrors in our bathrooms. Um, and, uh, maybe we, we end with this and all right. This is you are good by Hillary McBride. You are good. You have always been good, right from the beginning. I'm sorry that anyone told you otherwise. This breath, this head, these hands, this love, those feet, that smile, your ears, this heart, this breath, this breath, this breath. Good. All good. So, so, so good. You are loved. You are so loved. You are lovable. You've been working so hard. I don't have to know how to know that it's true. You are precious. You are not a mistake. You are so on purpose. You are not broken. You never were. I'm sorry that you might have thought that. I'm sorry that anyone might have made you think that. You are enough. You are so enough. You do not have to earn your enoughness. You do not have to grovel for value, for love, for goodness. You already have it. You already are it. You are loved. You are loved. You are love. You are love. You are love. What a beautiful way to wrap up. Sending everybody so much love until next time.